very word secrecy is repugnant in a free and open society. And we are, as a people, inherently and historically opposed to secret societies, to secret oaths, and to secret proceedings. questions you always had, the answers you were never given, the place to seek the truth. Welcome to Veritas. to everyone around the world and a warm welcome to another edition of Veritas at VeritasRadio.com I'm your host, Mal Fabregas and I sincerely thank you for joining me once again and if this is your first time or your truth journey brought you here welcome home and by now I don't have to tell you what you need to do to listen to tonight's full interview and every interview we have ever done just click on the subscribe button of our website and it'll get you login immediately you'll have hundreds and hundreds of hours and for those who still write to me wondering what happened to sanitas well it's no longer making new shows but the archives are right there and anyone can subscribe and listen to three full seasons any future sanitas related interviews will be falling right here on veritas and also those of you who do not like paypal and i know a lot of you hate it we have a new wave which you can use to pay and purchase your subscriptions. It's called Stripe. Once again, just click on the subscribe button and you'll see more information there. And if you want to get in touch with me, want to submit a guest suggestion, have feedback, I always love to hear from you. Click on the contact button of our website at veritasradio.com. Of all the UFO cases in the world, I think the Billy Meyer case is the most famous the most contested and the most controversial, no question about it. Michael Horn has been researching the Billy Meyer UFO contacts for over 30 years and is the authorized representative for the book on the Meyer case. And yet they fly. Michael has concluded that Meyer's credibility is unequaled by any other source past or present. His website is theyfly.com and he joins us north of where I am in Flagstaff, Arizona. Hello, Michael, and welcome back to Veritas. How are you? I know. I like the way you put it. Welcome back, indeed. I'm, I am delighted to be speaking with you again. I thank you so much uh, for being so gracious as to have a second interview with you these few years later. And other than that, to answer your question, I'm doing fine. I'm busy up here in beautiful Flagstaff. It's been over six years now. I can't believe it's been that long, but I have to ask you, from California to Flagstaff, by the way, I love Flagstaff. Did Billy yeah. Meyer tell you to get out of California? Well, let me tell you uh, the, the way I would put it. It wasn't that he said to me, hey, move. Um, actually, it wasn't even personal, you know, personally directed to or for me. What happened was somewhere back around 1980 or so, some Americans asked Meyer if he would ask the Playaran extraterrestrials, the people that he claims to be meeting with now for almost 75 years, 
if they would recommend a particular place in North America that would be a good place to establish a center to preserve the, the various work, the, the documents and writing, and et cetera, et cetera. So he, he said he would ask, and, you know, it's kind of uh, – well, you know, really, you're going to ask some extraterrestrials if they exist where to, you know, build a center in America. And he says, yes, I'll ask. I don't know if they'll give me anything, but they did. They said to him that specifically the best location in North America was specifically a place called Munns Park, Arizona, where I did actually end up living for a year, and that anything within a 200-kilometer radius of Flagstaff was within the overall zone for a preferred location. Um, I first came to visit Flagstaff and Munns Park, specifically in about 2009 with a buddy of mine, and we drove up here. And it wasn't until I got married the last time that my wife uh, said that she was tired of living in L.A., didn't want to live there. And we had traveled around a little bit, and I said, where do you want to move? And she said, let's move to Munns Park. <laughs> so I ended up in Munns Park for a year now up here in Flagstaff. And uh, I tell you, this is one beautiful place to live. So that is the kind of the genesis of my arrival up here, my journey. Well, Munns Park, very beautiful. It's like a mixture of Flagstaff and Sedona. I used to yes. live in California for four years, so I know exactly, uh, you know, to all my friends in California, no, no, <laughs> no, no hatred towards you, but... You know, Arizona is a beautiful place too. I was that, I was in LA for uh, over forty years oh. with a brief, Bria, brief stint living for almost six months up in the mountains of Brazil. But I I've lived in the large cities: Chicago, New York, Los Angeles, San Francisco. Then that stint in Brazil, back to LA, and then finally up here, where I'm going. Wow, I love it. The trees. Very similar trajectory to mine, and I'm I'm uh, here now. But I have to say. When we talked last six years ago, we really, because I love to get deep into uh, each case, each book, and we really discussed a lot about the case, but we didn't really cover that much of the predictions. And since this, this, this is the end of the year, perhaps we're airing this at the beginning of the year, not sure yet. Why don't we focus on the predictions? Because there are many that haven't been fulfilled yet, but lately you're telling me that some of them, especially our election, can you start with that? Oh, on the election one? Um, sure. Yes. Uh, it was that Meyer had asked in in 2008, he had asked Patah, these are the, you know, the names of some of these people that he meets with. I'll only say allegedly once and I'll leave it up to people to decide for themselves if it's true or not. So in 1951, uh, Meyer met with um, Patah. This is the, the person that is his uh, – one of his main – contact people. And at that time, he was asking, he wanted to know specifically about the 2008 primary. And he wanted to know if Obama would would prevail in that, or if uh, Hillary Clinton would. And since you're, since we're going to look at that, I will actually just give the uh, you know, the two pertinent or two or three pertinent lines that are in the translation. Uh, it, it, you know, uh, Meyer asks who's going to win. 
And he also comments that, in his opinion, Hillary Clinton is extremely power hungry. And so Patah says to him, Barack Obama will win the Democrat primary. And what you say regarding Hillary Clinton corresponds to the truth. She's an extremely power craving woman who does who up to the end does not give up, but nevertheless will suffer a defeat. Then he says. If she would actually come to power, then the USA and many countries of Earth would be heading for a really unpleasant future. However, humanity can consider itself fortunate that power is not laid in the hands of this woman. Now, agree or disagree, that's what he was told on May 7th, 2008 in the 465th official contact. So this was about 2008 election, not 2016? Right. But and this is where I had even in my blogs commented on this. Usually they stick only to the moment that or the specific limited question they're asked. But when he says here, Barack Obama will win the Democrat primary and what you say regarding Hillary Clinton corresponds to the truth, that would have been enough. But uncharacteristically, he comes on further. I skip one sentence and he further says If she would actually come to power, you know, the USA and many countries of Earth would be heading for a really unpleasant future if she would actually come to power. However, humanity can consider itself fortunate that power is not laid in the hands of this woman. Now, what's interesting about that is, to me, and again, I I was looking at this, I've looked at this for a while. They answer the question about the Democrat primary, but then they go on to say, Humanity will consider itself fortunate that power is not laid in the hands of this woman, meaning if if Obama wins the Democrat primary, that doesn't put power in his hands yet, other than for being the candidate for the Democrats. They had told Meyer in advance that he would also win, but they don't publish that in advance. They don't publish these kinds of things in advance, so people are free to say, oh, they didn't, you know, it couldn't be true. They backdated. Okay, fine and dandy. But I think we would find out. As we explore, as you've suggested, the various uh, prophecies and predictions about so many things that um, the credibility is with Meyer in terms of certainly being truthful as to when he was uh, spoken to and what he was told and then that he published it as it was presented to him. Now, again, people are free to do whatever they want with it, but there is – one kind of a caveat or a rider or a, I don't know what you'd call it, an intro I like to do fairly recently, I've done this more and more, about the Meyer case and actually about extraterrestrial contact. I think most everybody would agree, maybe some wouldn't, that the actual confirmed existence of extraterrestrial life, intelligence, space-traveling extraterrestrials would be hands down the most important single event, story, discovery, call it what you will, in human history exceeded only by confirmed contact with such a race. So while this whole field of UFOs and extraterrestrials, uh, things are spoken about as if, of course, everybody and their brother is meeting with so-called aliens. We don't have scientific recognition of it from mainstream science, but I do contend that the Meyer case 
has scientific, independent, expert scientific authentication, which isn't apparently what we'll focus on right now. I think we'll find with the prophetic information that it's an even higher standard of proof than Myers' photos and films and all the stuff that's been authenticated. I have a question regarding uh, Billy Meyer. He sure. speaks uh, English, correct? Because I've, I've, I've seen him being interviewed in the past. He does speak some English. He does speak very, very, very infrequently in English. And the reason why I ask, and no offense to you, no. why does he need a representative when we have the advent of the Internet these days? Well, I don't know that, that he needs it. You see, what happened is in 2004, I asked if I could officially represent them, in, especially in America, but in the English-speaking language because I've done it around the world. And the, uh, what I would do would be to present their information as they publish it, exactly as they present it, with a couple of qualifications. One – that I am entitled to keep my own free opinion. If I don't know if something's really true, I'm not, I don't have to go out there and say, well, it's true and Bill, because Billy Meyer said it. Mm -hmm. Number two, I can disagree if, if for some reason I'm not comfortable with something. And number three, that I would do it voluntarily. That means without any compensation. I don't pay them. They don't pay me. And we agree to that. And I, uh, I'm in my like fourth year of second, seven-year contract with them, or maybe fifth year by now, I don't know, somewhere in there. Um, and Meyer really does, first of all, he writes in German. He uh, lives in a German-speaking country. His family, his friends, all of the people in the group that he has formed to assist him, they all speak all the time in German together. In the past, uh, you know, Meyer, when I first started coming, he would speak to me in English, and it was very nice. And then several years ago, he said, from here on, when you come, you speak in German. I said, okay. And it's, I'm not a German speaker, but I, you know, I did some quick studying and stuff. And each time I go over there, I kind of bone up a bit more so that I will understand more, hopefully be able to also speak a little more. And then, especially because I can film him in interviews, then I have the interviews translated. With the interestingly enough, this last interview, Billy spoke in English in, in in parts of it for sure. He wanted to say certain things immediately in English, and and he did, and that had to do also with the election and what's coming to America as far as they are concerned. By the way, I will have some more information about that hopefully by the end of the week, but. Meyer has, in addition to phantom limb pain, uh chronic rheumatism, the heart valve that was replaced last year, bruised ribs, and a host of other things, including having recovered from a brain injury some years ago. Um, he's pretty stoic, and he doesn't complain, and he doesn't beg favor. But when he asked me to you know, speak in the language there, I thought that the least I can do is do my best. I do my best when I get there. Every now and then, something will slip into a little English from either of us if it really needs to be conveyed, and he doesn't want to go through the contortions of my pretty uh, rudimentary German. So, you know, in the, in that perspective, when people, uh, you know, when they understand that in, when in Rome, do as the Romans do, and uh, there are people who represent his material in Italy who speak in Italian there, you know, and people in other parts of the world, Russia, even some in Asia, different places. So I'm not troubled by that. I know people would love to think that, you know, well, let's get Billy Meyer on. 
Um, he doesn't even do that. It doesn't coincide with his time or his work schedule and his living schedule. So he, he prefers not to represent himself in less than the clearest way possible, even if he had the time to do it. So I said, I will send you everything I do. You get copies of every, you know, video and, and uh, you know, recording and film and interview so that if there's something that doesn't seem straight here, let me know right away so that I don't go off. Because the only reason I ended up doing these presentations to begin with, Mel, was that the former representative was a guy named Randy Winters, who was a very charismatic, good speaker on the case. And when I met him in 1986-87, we produced a film together called The Pleiadian Connection, and I ended up being his opening act doing New Age comedy before he would speak and do his presentations. New then Age comedy? Sit- yeah, I did that for 12 <laughs> oh, wow. years. Yeah, I had, I've had a few unusual careers in my life. That was one of them. So what happened was I'd sit in the audience and I'd listen to Randy, and I, as time went on, I became more uncomfortable with things that were not congruent with what I knew was in the material. And he knew the material too, but he was inserting things and going off in places on stuff. And so I finally decided – I asked him, I said, listen, I'd like to do some of my own presentations. He said, sure, and I'll give you some slides. He was very gracious about it. Shortly after I started to do that, the people in Switzerland asked him to stop doing presentations because it was just going too far afield and wacky stuff was in it. And I was doing presentations, let's say, from 1988 on, and it wasn't until 2004 that I then asked to represent them officially. Interesting. I remember years ago, probably about six, seven years ago, his son, Methuselah, Methy, yes. he came mm-hmm. out and started, uh, I don't know if he, you can call it debunking. And by the way, I'm not here to debunk. I, yes. I'm a journalist. I want to be neutral. I want to see both sides. Sure. I, I guess there's some father-son issues. What came out of this? Well, yes. Um you know, I think Billy's the first person to say, listen, every human being is responsible for themselves. They deserve love. They deserve, you know, acceptance and they, you know, deserve to, to, to go through their life and, uh, you know, have the ups and downs. And it's not that they should be isolated or shunned, but each person's going to express their perspectives and there's times and places to respond to that. And there's times and places to just let people have their say. Here's what it, turned out to be to the best information that I could get from people who knew, of course, know both of them in Switzerland and in Europe. Um, Methy's a guy who uh, didn't quite apparently find his his own identity as strongly, let's say, as the other son, Atlantis, who I also know, and who is uh, – well, both of them as children, of course, they saw the ships. This is, They're on video – Atlantis even, I think, had painted one of the ships in one of the videos, showed a drawing of it. And they both, even Methy, who had all this issue with his dad, said, well, well, the contacts are real, of course, but my dad's a, you know, son of a gun. Well, it turned out from what we heard that the actual abuse he was talking about came from his mother. And there seems to be in the various transcripts some things that would corroborate that because it also turned out that such behavior was directed at Billy himself by his ex-wife, including some pretty uh, intense little attacks with frying pans and what have you. You know, you can laugh about it, but it's not really funny. Now, all of that being said, I am not a first, you know, person 
party to the the dramas of that family and these are human beings. Everybody involved in this whole story, unlike the UFO community with its perfect space brothers and evil aliens and all the rest of this absolute disinformation, these are real people. And when we, if we do, if we look at the history of the Play Aran, which I do have a blog about, we'll see that these people did Star, Star Wars on steroids for thousands of years before they got themselves straightened out. So the, the, the whole environment of the persons, the main persons in this, which would also involve Meyer's family, there is real-life drama, if you will, involved with it. And, uh, you know, Meyer's wife came out against him after they divorced, and at about the same time, her bank account went up into five figures with the help, apparently, of somebody who wanted to also debunk Meyer named Luc Bergen, I think. So you've got the he said, she said, and all this other stuff. So what I try to do, being uh, you know an equally imperfect human being, equal to all others in, in my imperfection, I think. I don't know about degrees of severity, one way or the other. I try to go, look, we are looking here at the Billy Meyer UFO case, and we want to determine if this is indeed the single most important story in human history – or it's the biggest, most improbable, impenetrable 75-year-long hoax. It's got to be one or the other. There's nothing really in between. This is not some thing where somebody says, well, I'm meeting with aliens. And, you know, This is 75 years long. You've got photographic and other documentation going back to Edward Albert Meyer, age four, and all through his life, photos, passports, documents, you name it. So – what we do know is that for all the people that have known him or that have ever come forward in his life, even the ones who have became, become his opponents, they never said that the case was a hoax. Some of them were eyewitnesses to the craft, but they had other issues with Meyer. And there you go. That's human life. So what we have with the prophecies and the predictions, as I see it, is information that's actually – if we think about it in this way, it's it's not unusual. It's forecasting based perhaps on a great deal of information that has been dealt with, crunched by people with far better technology and even throughout a very distant history, people with tremendous consciousness abilities to project outcomes based on cause and effect strictly and to use these as warnings for humanity to be able to heed in order to help us assure our own very threatened future survival. So whatever you want to ask about is fine, and we can dig into specific things. Um, Certainly. I can tell you, you know, one of the – I brought up, just to have it in front of me, of course, uh, the first published letter from Meyer – and this is from 1951. The information in it was given to him largely by his first teacher, a man named Svath. And by that, I mean his first extraterrestrial teacher. And it was with the assistance of a very terrestrial teacher, Gustav Lehmann, that it was disseminated to the world and that Meyer – you know, sent out his first warnings, and it's titled uh, Open Letter to All Human Beings of Earth, July 5, 1951. So there are any number of things, and some that I only recently really noticed, like saying, oh, I didn't think he predicted that till later. 
but I'll, you know, uh, I'll go through some if you want, and the ones that jump out at me. Let's let's revisit a few things. I remember my conversations with, uh, of course, the the late Colonel Wendell Stevens, who passed away mm-hmm. a few years ago, and I inherited a lot of his uh, material. Oh, but great. I have to ask you. For those people who continue to say, oh, this is probably the biggest hoax in the world, as much material as there is, footage, video, and so on, there's <laughs> enough to debunk them. Uh, people have replicated with fishing line. Uh, there's the, the example of the the uh, extraterrestrial woman, which, in fact, some pictures show that it was a beauty pageant in Europe. Tell us more about this. Sure. Actually, all of the aforementioned things are not quite accurate. Here's how I'll present it to you. The so-called UFOs on strings were originally uh, presented as, you know, debunking material, to the best of my knowledge, by Cal Korf. Cal Korf being the major opponent who ever appeared on the scene for the Billy, you know, against the Billy Meyer case. In 2006, I think it was also, I was presenting in Northern California uh, at a. Uh, I think it's in San Jose or someplace. It's a UFO event and all of that. And a man came up to me and introduced himself as Garrett Moore. And he said, you know, I'm a graphics and illustration person and all. And I happen to be the person that Cal Korf enlisted to help falsify Billy Myers' photos. I said, what? He said, here's my card. And here's a card from Cal Korf that I've kept, which he gave me. Are you serious? And he said, yes. And I'll tell you that I am not proud of what I did. Okay, and it went on from there. Now, without taking it through everything, his he wrote a whole article about it, which is on my website. He explained that Korf's agenda was indeed, as the play Aaron and Meyer had said, to debunk an attack, and this was done with the support of certain parties from the intelligence community. Whether Korf knew at the time that the people he was dealing with were such parties – I don't know, but that's who was behind it. Now, here's so what we have right now is we've got claims from Cal Korf and his book with photos, and we have the man who stepped forward and said, I did that. And there were other things he asked me to do that I didn't do, and I can tell you how this was done, and I'm sorry about it. And I think uh, I think Garrett Moore also interviewed me at some point in a video somewhere. I think we have that from uh, – Space Cities, one of the interviews from Space Cities, number one. Number two, a very good model maker that I personally interacted with beginning in 2009 named Phil Langdon made excellent, almost but not but no cigar models of Myers um, UFOs and including the controversial wedding cake craft. I was in email correspondence with him and one of the first things he tried to duplicate in terms of a film – was the famous film where the craft circled the tree. When he sent me his version, I pointed out to him that he had failed to be able to duplicate at that moment, and duplicate is a loose word, uh, the, the fact that the craft hung for approximately four seconds at an angle to the left of the tree. I'll go back and redo it, he said. So he tied another string to something on his little model in front of a little model tree. And then he hit a, it was okay, but... Two things. One, he would never submit any of his photo or film fakery for examination because he knew it was go- it would be analyzed to show that these were small models 
close to the tree objects. You know, this was not something as all of the analysis has shown, and I can go into the recent stuff on Meyer stuff that those are large unknown objects a distance from the camera next to large known objects such as trees. Okay. So Phil does some nice stuff, but no cigar. He fails to be able to duplicate the actual details on the wedding cake ship. He fails to actually be able to duplicate one of the most amazing films, actually an eight millimeter film where, where Billy zooms in broad daylight. The craft comes in and two lights flash alternatingly off, one off of the top of the cupola and one off of the rim uh, of the craft. And as somebody had written when they looked at that, they said, so are we supposed to believe from the skeptics that some one-armed farmer in Switzerland in 1976 built a remote-controlled UFO model with two flashing lights on it and, and, you know, and films it? See, nobody's – Langdon could not duplicate it, so he pasted little white dots on his model. And here's a guy working, and a lot of the time certainly with two hands, trying to debunk Meyer. Okay, he can't do it. None of them could. Now, recently, that means within the last two years or so, three independent analyses were done. The wedding cake ship, a 74-page analysis, and now there's a new uh, addendum that's come out on that. The um, energy ships, which were really interesting things that are looking like luminescent bathtubs floating in the air, and that same film, the pendulum film, which has another lengthy analysis by two photographic experts. Now, people nowadays say, well, who's this person to analyze and who's that? Here's the beauty of it. In 1978-80, whenever the original analyses were done, they were using the -the state-of-the-art computer equipment of the day, which nobody had but these labs. These are, you know, big, clunky computers and high-tech stuff that worked. I mean, it was being used at NASA JPL. These days, what what the uh, independent... Analysts did was to use protocols and technologies, software that anybody can get, and some of it may be expensive, but anybody can get it and put it on their computer and reproduce the tests. One of the tests does not even require it. The wedding cake craft, there is one photograph on that that the so called experts and debunkers had attacked for 32 years. It's a gold glowing. UFO against a black background. Well, say the skeptics, that's a model and that's a black curtain. <laughs> Accidentally or otherwise, one of the analysts, Raul Zahi in, in South America, takes that one photograph and drops it into Photoshop. He boosts the contrast, drops the brightness, whatever, or back, or, you know, reverse that. I don't know. I'm not good with that stuff. And suddenly we see a large object hovering over a road, a graveled road, next to a grassy hillside with one of those little, you know, meter high or so white uh, posts, little markers that they have on the on the roadside in Switzerland. And there's an energy field around it. You, another person does the same test. His comes out a little different, but exactly the same thing. The objects above. A gravel road, there's a grassy hillside, there's the white post, and his energy field, based on how he adjusted contrast and brightness, comes out a little bit different. Now, this means that anybody, you, any of your listeners, today can take a 35-millimeter photograph right off the internet, 
and drop it in Photoshop and demonstrate to yourself that somehow this one-armed guy in 1980 was such a genius that he foresaw the development of Photoshop and that 32 years later, People would come, so he took a 35-millimeter photograph at night and did it in such a way that when you just adjust it in 21st century technology, voila, it's going to reveal the same object in his other 63 photos, which are primarily daytime. So the skeptics give us such convoluted, jump-through-hoop, illogical assumptions that it is mind-boggling. Now, if I may take it a little farther… They always attack, and the well, he's fake. This, I, so I say, and I've put it out there with no response of any credibility. Okay, give me the means, motive, and opportunity for it. You might think you have the motive that you think Billy Meyer wants to be famous, despite the fact that being shot at twenty-three times is not exactly the what would one would consider the high point of of life to be dodging bullets because you dare to do this stuff. And you never go out personally and you're not trying to make money off of it and you're not recruiting people and you're not begging people for anything. So tell me, what means did he use What and the motive and give me the opportunities? Now, this is especially pertinent not only for the physical evidence but for this prophetic information. But let's look at the physical evidence. You knew Wendell Stevens. I don't know if you know or knew Lee and Britt Elders or the other members of the team that came into play. Yes, through through him, yes. Wonderful. Lee and Britt, they still live in Munns Park, I think. Uh, you know, those are, they're tough people. These are professional, high level private investigators. Their work is in counter espionage, securing safe rooms, computers, phone line, all this stuff for Fortune 500 companies and banks. This is for the benefit of your audience in case they don't know. Wendell Stevens was tasked originally by the U.S. Air Force in 1947. To you know, research UFOs, and he carried that on. Now, it's fair to say, and some people said, well, you know, Wendell at times could be a bit gullible, and yeah, he could. That's why Lee and Britt, who were his dear friends, said, well, Wendell, you're going to Switzerland for what? We're coming with you. And, of course, all the stories about that investigation and the things that happened to them, Lee and Britt were the skeptics. These were, you know, and are highly, highly trained people. Lee has his connections to various government agencies, et cetera, et cetera. We'll leave it at that. And they wanted to protect Wendell as well from being taken for a ride, which wouldn't be on a UFO. Uh, I spoke with, you know, all of them over a 20-year period. And I, I can tell you, you know, if you care, I mean, you know, they're all going, well, if this is a hoax. You know, we don't know how it was done. And, you know, we're at 99.9 percent and we've seen things ourselves we can't explain. We've had experiences with things appearing and disappearing and phones ringing and people picking us up. You know, it's like, uh, you know, Billy is just he doesn't quite fit the picture of, you know, a, uh, a draconian, all powerful being manipulating all these things. That being said. And I can pause if you want me to. I want to, after I pause here, I want to go into means, motive, and opportunity for you if you wish. Yeah, absolutely. But let's, since we're talking about the images and the photographs and so on, I, I have a couple that I want to discuss. One sure. of them being the Asket and the Nira or Nira oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. photographer. Yeah. Great. I have that, a whole article on that on my website. And here's something else where I personally remember 
uh, I had, of course, the four you know books from Wendell. You probably have them yourself. Yes. And in 1975, somewhere in I think in that first volume, uh, Patah tells Meyer that in America there are two. They use the term doppelgangers, you know, doubles, two women who look so very much like Ascot and Nera. And Meyer gets all excited about it. And he says, oh, yeah, I, I, you know, t- tell me more. Can we go see them or something like this? You know, as a matter of fact, what I'll do, uh, I'll see if I can bring up the exact quote while I, you know, continue to babble here. But sure. um, he he wants to go see these two women. This is like 1975. All right. So and this is at the D. Martin show, by the way. Yes, yes. He, we're talking about the so-called dancers from the Dean Martin show, and the, their names are somewhere as well, too. I forget. Maybe they're on that page. But, oh, Michelle de la Favre is one of them. And so the people claim, well, that's who Ascot really is. Now, on that page, and I, I'm not going to read it all to you because you don't want that. I don't want it. I don't think you're pe- – the beauty of this is people can read this and go through it themselves. Now, uh, it was in contact 39 in 1975 that Asket and Nira have doubles or lookalikes is Toldemeyer. That is not only years, but I think decades before it's claimed. Well, there, that's Asket and Nira. Now, in this photograph, in this photograph, in this article as well, you're going to find the explanations as to how and why it would have been absolutely impossible for Meyer to photograph off a TV, which at that point, I don't think he even owned. There, there's a lot of stuff here about not only the, uh, the lines from the cathode tube on, on, you know, the early TVs being miss, uh, missing. But what we'd have to just one item is we would have to assume that Billy Meyer not only had a color television in 1975, which I think he did not, that he would have to have known that this show was going to be broadcast and reach him on his little mountaintop in Switzerland at a particular time and have the proper camera for photographing and capturing these women and with no cathode tube lines showing up. I mean, this is where we get into means and op- means alone that it, it is so impossible. And then when you go to this page and you actually compare the faces – they're different. And the, the one of the photos of, of Asket, and again, they're even saying, you know, they usually say in this, we can't trust that there's been no manipulation in any of the photos. But if you put the pure so-called Asket photo side to side, which we did with Michelle de la Favre, you see two things. <laughs> they're not the same at all. Number one. Number two, the cathode ray lines are in the photo of Michelle, and they are not in the photo, supposedly photo, of Asket. So, one of the things that I tell people about this is, look, if you can't kill a man physically, if you you try your darndest, whoever you may be, the next best thing is to try to assassinate his character. These are not the only photos that were manipulated. And photos that Meyer took in his uh, – there was a five-day tri- trip in 1975 that is all documented in those books and, and all that stuff. And even at this time, uh, in 1976, Meyer in the contact report says 
that his space trip photos can't be trusted. He says that in the 68th contact, November 12, 1976, because they why, found Yeah, why did he say that? Because the Playaran told him that they had been intercepted and manipulated. So we let's get to that layer. What do you mean by that? Meyer never developed one photograph or film himself. Nothing. He bought all of his equipment and all of his film uh, online. Uh, not, I mean, online, not in those days. At a, um, oh gosh, at, at a local, almost local photo shop, uh, you know, camera store. And he bought ca- the. You know, not only did the original investigative team investigate Gary Kinder, who was a skeptic and wrote a separate book in which he comes out not being so skeptical. That's called Light Years. He went and interviewed those owners, and they are called uh, Mr. and Mrs. Bear, or they were in nineteen, you know, seventies, late seventies, early eighties. If they are indeed, um, you know, still alive. But what they asked, among other things, was what did Mr. Meyer buy here? Well, they were happy to tell him. He bought uh, cameras. He bought, did he buy a video camera? Yes, he bought a video camera. He, f- he fussed around for a long time to find a camera that he could operate with one hand. And he bought a tripod. And he bought film. Did he buy an enlarger? No. Did he buy chemicals? No, never. And, and did he, you know, did he do anything with these films? Yes, he always brought back these films. We sent them out to be developed. And did you ever look at these films? Yes, they were unusual, but when we got back the envelope, you know, the Kodak envelope type thing, we would go through them to make sure, you know, everything was there. And then they discussed with him, well, did you see things that looked like they'd been reshot or set up or didn't look? No, they are always, you know, see, you know, in sequence one after another with these objects, you know, floating around or next to trees or whatever. And uh, there was you know, and, and with the film strips, they were never cut or altered. They was straight through. So, and I should tell you, I don't know if you know this, Wendell and the crew, when they went over there, one time they actually loaded Meyer's camera with their own film because he says, I'm going for a contact. He went out for a couple hours, came back. They took the film out. They developed, and there they were. The UFOs, 34 shots or whatever. At one point, I think they uh, had four people with cameras shooting stuff and th- all but um, – Myers came out looking like models and stuff. Of course, Meyer was photographing the real. It goes on and on. You know, in these books, you can read this stuff. It's, sometimes in rereading, I learn more and more details. Oh my gosh, I forgot I'd read that. So, what we have here, Meyer is told and states as far back as 40 years ago the space photos can't be trusted. Most all of them have been manipulated. Maybe there's some good ones, but we are going to disavow it because. You know, we. Can, I they, presume. They, I presume you include the one with the pterodactyl, where yes, you know, next to yes. a textbook. Yes, yes, that, uh, and then there was a caveman photo or something, because in this, you know, in this alleged trip in '75, Meyer is taken and shown other worlds, people at different levels of development, dinosaurs, uh, pyramids on other planets, and all sorts of stuff, and he's he took something like 1,300 photos, which we will never see. They were stolen. And well, what do we mean? Well, the intelligence services, whoever, which ones, and we know our own was involved in that, intercepted. Uh, there are films that will never came back. He, we have eight that survived. There were many more. There was supposedly even a film of the wedding cake flying. 
and everybody, where's it flying? You know, 64 photos in one video? Okay, it isn't flying. Apparently, there was one, and it never came back. And this was something that was determined <clears throat> by both the photo shop and the people at the camera store and the investigative crew. Yeah, well, that went out, but never came back. So that is not hard to consider maybe a possibility if you're dealing with the single most revolutionary you know experience in human history and why would we you know put all that on it and why would we think that it would be intercepted and suppressed and people want to kill this man in a weird weird way we can understand this mindset the powers and put that in bold letters that be can only be in power so long as they can control and not lose control of their particular domains, their areas of influence and control. Anything that's, that shows that there is no constraint over an outside element that can approach this planet willy-nilly, uh, purely on its own initiative, is immune to anything we could do to prevent it, would destabilize Politics, religion, all forms of government, economics, the media, so the psychological state of billions of human beings who aren't ready to have that foisted upon them, which is why it hasn't been and why it won't and why there's no landings about to take place and all the poor people that claim to be contactees just can't prove it. Now, no one is – you know, people say to me, you're – really ridiculous you just always say billy myers the only contact i said look in the nearly 40 years that i've been actively involved in looking at this stuff i've seen an awful lot of so-called ufo cases i'm not against anything being authentic there have been photos and even films of other ufos and there are some people who've actually had some very brief interactions at least according to the meyer case with extraterrestrials but there's nobody who's an actual contactee where there's any kind of a developed rapport anything ongoing because if there was these people who claim it could and would be able to put the evidence on the table and let it be even within a few light years of the voluminous you know quality quantity and quality of Myers independently scientifically authenticated UFO evidence prophecies and predictions why is it that all these people that have careers as so-called UFOs experts not only can't do that but every rare moment i remind them say fellas i have documentation from the play Aaron addressed to me passed to me from Meyer that turned out to be specific and prophetically accurate and by the way I've been within 20 feet of one of these craft in the mountains. So all of you, why don't you belly up to the bar and put something out here that would help us to at least think that there's some credibility to your claims. And I don't care anyhow, because what more do we need if this is true? With, with, the, be, with that, I mean, to interrupt you, with, sure, I apologize. Sure. with the advent of the Internet, everybody having a, a smartphone these days, not so smart to many people, but with the preponderance of this technology everywhere, not only in Switzerland, but United States, and even in, in third world countries. Why haven't we seen anything new coming from Myers area that has contact sure. stopped? No, not at all. But it's, it's a good question, and I, I really can explain that, uh, I think, with, with, with some logic and also fill in a, a little bit about the, the sightings there. Uh, I published a document in 2005 that... Uh, 
spoke about the it didn't speak in depth about it but what what I did is I recorded here here's the sentence and a half or two adding to the credibility of the UFO aspect of the case the Swiss military airspace safety monitoring unit reported recording 236 UFO radar sightings in the airspace above Myers Land between the 25-month period from April 193 to April 3195. Particularly noteworthy were the clusters of UFO radar positions above the Zurich Highlands, precisely in the area where Billy Meyer has his contacts. 236 in two years. Radar sightings. Now, what the Playaren said to Meyer long ago was actually it was somewhere in around 1980 or so they said look because he was being asked about things about more photos and stuff they said no we are your world is about to enter into the computer and the digital age which by the way meyer foresaw in 1951 and 58 and we can always get to that but they said you know from here on with the computers and things you'll even more frequently and harshly be accused of falsifying the evidence so there is nothing beneficial at all about producing more evidence people either will do the analyses and think their way through this and you know and and struggle with uh you know the controversy as is intended this is part of the reason for it so that we through this exposure and and critical examination over time start to allow into our consciousness and often into our subconsciousness the reality of other beings existence, existing so that ultimately our world, and it may not be comprised of all the persons currently living in it, but our world and consciousness of this world will be more ready for that reality when the time comes for contact when we have civilized ourselves and made ourselves into true rational thinking human beings and not – you know, hyper-adrenalized, violent, crazy, uh, you know, war junkies. But it has to start somewhere. And in fact, it started long ago. But this is the process. They could prove their existence in five minutes. Five minutes. You know, what would it take? And that's why we don't get it, because that would be a true imposition and invasion of free will. There are Nearly now, according to their count, almost 9 billion human beings on our planet, billions of whom have very cultic religious beliefs. They have their gods, you know, their deities, saviors, saints, masters, and all the rest of this, and holy books, and what have you, their cosmologies, into which they are tightly bound, and which in many and even most cases do not allow for them to be approached by an incontrovertible, irrefutable proof that we are not the crowning glory that's, of that's, some... That's why I always say, Michael, that, well, let's speak on our president here in the United States. I think his most important uh, priority is domestic tranquility. Because if you were to present something like this and people were to question their own religion, their own oh. existence, this could throw the financial markets off bound, you name it. Absolutely. That's it. That is it. Now, you've got it. And it's funny you said that about religion because I want to just give you a personal anecdote. I'm not going to name names, but uh, in the last few years, first a few years ago, I met a guy. Then I didn't see him again. He moved up into this area, and he's a lifelong Mormon. 
which is a cosmology. I call it cosmology. When we sit and talk, we sit and talk frequently, and he became familiar with various aspects of the Meyer case. But he's he's content to be. He's a lifelong Mormon. His family goes way back and all this stuff. And we sit and we talk about – and he keeps saying to me, we are the two most unlikely improbable guys to sit here and just have you know the great time we do. And I said, well, yes and no. If it was only based on our you know grander cosmologies, sure, we'd be butting heads. But here's the thing. Our core values overlap. And those core values can indeed and are oftentimes found – in many, if not most all, but many, many religions. And he said, well, I'll tell you the other part of that. I agree with you. And he says, you know, from what I've read with Billy Myers' information, he says, you know, I, I don't know about all that extraterrestrial. But, you know, the stuff I've read there, I, I can't disagree with what he's talking about, love and freedom and peace and harmony. And he said, you know, we all want that. And a lot of the things he says about, you know, the environment, and all, yeah, yeah. So I said, well, my friend, that's why we sit here on this porch and we can have an overlap as it should be for all all people. While the Meyer case is anything but pro-religion, they also do really say, let people have their beliefs. You don't have to believe what other people believe. You know, um, Just look for the commonality, those true and eternal values. And in time, over much time, human beings will find truth and truth will not require that there's a hundred religions and, and you know and deities and things so that at the core this is about what they call the spiritual teaching and a new book is coming out within not too many days from now a final translation of what's called the talmud emmanuel the true teaching of the man the prophet named emmanuel upon whom the imaginary being of jesus christ was based according to this information so this is uh it's been this is like the fourth or fifth translation it was it went from aramaic to ink german to english long story interesting story can be read all that can be read for free there's a new book coming out that if people want the book they'll be able to get it and it's quite compelling because in that we learn a lot of interesting things such as there were 17 female disciples 17, and that you don't find a trace of them anywhere in the Bible. It explains how this man, Emmanuel, uh, was tutored and taught many things, how he did the actual healings. He never raised anybody from the dead because when you're dead, you're dead. He, he didn't walk on water. A lot of things that got changed, you know, myths that became accepted. And how the real healing, how the real work with human beings was done, how the, you know, how the things that got altered, according to this information, actually did occur, how he survived the crucifixion, how he, his mother, and several of the disciples and others made their way through various countries, ultimately to India, where he married when he was 48, marrying an Indian woman, having a number of children, one who would be named Joseph, who 70 years after the crucifixion would bring the original True teaching, this writing from Judas Ishkariath, who was a different person than Judas. Um, Not the betrayer. The, the true betrayer was a similarly named son of a Pharisee. And it's explained in here who did hang himself. He took the silver, the whole thing. And it was because of the similar name that they could create the myth that his own scribe betrayed him. And Judas never betrayed him. He was truly a trusted scribe and had 
taken down all the information. The true teaching that was put then by Judas on these uh, scrolls, which were sheaths of, you know, uh, maybe a papyrus or whatever. So, so he, know, was but, a, he was a Lee, R, Lee Harvey Oswald, if you know what I mean. Judas, you mean? Yes, I guess I confused you with that comment. <laughs> yes. He, uh, the, the, the real Judas uh, was not the betrayer. He was the true friend and true scribe to whom we owe the existence of Again, I'm, I'm saying this according to the information of the case. This, knowing how controversial all this is and will be for hundreds of years, uh, let, you know, people will have to, if they wish, go through this and figure it out for themselves. Um, there are tombs in India, in Srinagar, for Mary, the mother of Isa, and Isa himself, a great teacher who was crucified in his land, who came here to teach us. I mean, stuff – most people in this country know nothing about uh, – there was another guy who wrote a book on it, a German guy, even independently of all this information from Meyer, which goes back to 1963 when these scrolls were discovered by him and a former Greek Orthodox priest. So what, what happens here is you pull the thread, so to speak, on the Meyer case, and now you're into the, the prophets going back to Enoch uh, through – uh, Emmanuel, aka Jesus, through Muhammad up to Billy, and in between you get Elijah, Isaiah, and Jeremiah, and then you learn that according to this information, there's been one spirit form or spirit that in its subsequent reincarnations has played the part of the prophet of the time, the aforementioned previous six, and the final one being Billy, and that drives people crazy too. Oh, so we can go all the way back to uh, Osiris, Horus, and go forward all the way to Jesus and Billy Myers? Is that what you're saying? Well, what what we're saying here is that I don't know how far back the um, Horus – I'm familiar with the whole thing of the sun god, and yeah. the, you know, the rising – the whole thing. And I knew this woman who has since passed away. I think her name, she called herself Archaya. I had known her in L.A. And she was very big about, you know, the Jesus myth and all the rest. The, the Enoch part of this, the uh, they call it, uh, they call him Henoch in German. The Henoch prophecies, which are, you know, some more mind-boggling things here, uh, authored originally by, and this, of course, in itself, to me, is mind-boggling, authored by the prophet Enoch. And we are told that he was born in 9308 BC. We're pushing 12,000 years here almost, you know, 11,000 and change. That's when the Henoch prophecies that we refer to from 1981 and 1987 were actually authored. And that includes events that we are in today and things that may come if we don't decide finally to pay attention. So let me just Oh, hold it, hold it, because we have yeah. to we have to take our one and only break to divide sure. both segments. Can you discuss some of those predictions? Anything you want. Excellent. And I also have a, a photograph that I want to bring up to your attention. I want you to tell me what this is. I'll get your answer on the other side. But I'm referring to the the wedding cake. But it has the wedding cake is that UFO in the foreground, mm -hmm. and yes. behind in the background there is a vehicle. And there are some trees. Oh, yeah. I, would, I would like you to discuss that too. But sure. Michael, how can people learn more about Billy Meyer's work and the book and so on? Sure. Well, my website is called theyfly.com. I have a blog that's called theyflyblog.com. 
both of these have had visitors already from over 185 countries around the world. And so on my blog, people from all over discuss, uh, argue, debate uh, all of this information. And my blog currently has – we're approaching about 600 articles on the blog and hundreds more on the website. We have links to translations into other languages, photographs, a photo gallery, the prophecies, predictions, corroborations of the prophetic information uh, – just as much stuff as we can possibly have and links to other sites that augment and have in their own right volumes of information that I don't uh, keep on my website. So theyfly.com and theyflyblog and I'll only add that any two things. One, I answer all emails including questions and challenges. It takes me a little while. And two, my only real pitch will be if anybody buys a DVD from my site and they mention you, Mel, or your show in any way, I automatically add another free DVD in the order. The Talmud Emanuel mm-hmm. and books like, yeah, just that's the courtesy to your listeners. With books, since all of these books are published outside of the U.S., they're published either in Switzerland, Australia, or Canada, I don't have the leeway. They're already very expensive books by the time I get them, so I don't have the leeway of throwing in free books. I'd always try to throw in some pamphlets and documents and things, and of course, there's tons and tons of free info here, so people can go at it and start determining the truth for themselves. Excellent. Well, a lot more when we return with (laughs) Michael Horn. Prophecies, predictions, because... The new year is here or soon to be. Don't go anywhere, folks. Mel Fabrega is with Michael Horn. This is Veritas Radio. We'll be right back. Thank you for listening to the first segment of this very important Veritas interview. If you enjoyed it and wish to listen to the rest, go to veritasradio.com, click on members or subscribe, or tell someone else who will enjoy this and all our radio programs. If you are listening on YouTube, like, subscribe, and share it. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store, where you can purchase pure organic sulfur, a USB drive with all our shows, and much more. Now, we'll take a short intermission, listen to some music, and I'll see you in the Veritas member section. Enjoy. Enjoy. 